Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today, my guest, Jason Zemers, is going to talk about content marketing. Jason is the founder and CEO of Email Analytics, Quippy, a photo-based iOS and Android app, and Audience Bloom, a Seattle-based content and social media agency. He specializes in entrepreneurship, online marketing, social media, email marketing, and SEO. Jason is from Seattle, the home of Starbucks, and the first ever gas station in America. He completed his bachelor's in marketing degree at the University of Washington, Michael G. Foster's School of Business. Are right, you guys today on the Shane Barker's Marketing Madness podcast? We have Jason Demers with us today. Jason, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast, bud. Hey, thank you, Shane. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm sure a lot of people that listen to the podcast already know who you are. And because you've, like I said, we kind of talked about it offline of, you know, have this colored background of a lot of different things that we've done, been in the marketing space for a long time as you have. So, and we were just talking about like, have we seen each other? Have we worked together? You know, it's one of those those weird things. You're like, I'm pretty sure we've connected somewhere. We've crossed paths or anything. So Mm -hmm. like, where did you grow up? Like, let's get a little backstory on you. Yeah, a little backstory. Uh, so where I grew up, Seattle, Washington. That's where I still am to this day. But yeah, born and raised. Awesome. You a Seattle Seahawks fan? Oh, absolutely. Huge fan. <laughs> I'm a Niner fan, man. That's it's, that's okay. Well, we'll, we'll work that out. We'll figure that out. We're pretty much rivals now then. I, I didn't want to bring it up. I, I, was like, <laughs> I, I mean, if I didn't really want to interview, I would say, hey, we'll just call it a day at this point. Like maybe I'll buy you some <laughs> coffee or maybe a beer next time I see you. I just... I'll try not to get emotionally involved when it comes to football. So we'll, we'll just, we'll keep this kosher. I think we should be fine. I think we've got two grown men. I think we can figure it out, but. All right. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Seattle area, so like how big was your family growing up, man? You know, really small. I'm an only child. And so it was me and my mom and my dad. And the rest of my family really is on my mom's side. They are all in Alaska. That's where my mom is. Uh, she was born and raised. She moved down to, to Seattle when she was around 18 or 19 or so for college. And that's where she met my dad. On my dad's side, his family is from Montana, but there's not really many left on his side. Uh, they're surviving to this day. So, you know, no surviving grandparents or, you know, he didn't have any brothers or sisters either. So small family and they're mostly up in Alaska. So yeah, pretty much just me, my mom and my dad mostly. Gotcha. Do you go up to Alaska a lot? I go up about once a year to celebrate my grandpa's birthday with the rest of my family. It's kind of like a family sort of reunion once a year that we do up there. And it's, it's a lot of fun. We all look forward to it. That's awesome. Is that, has he since passed? No, he's still around or is it just... He's still around. Awesome. So it's every July and uh, planning to go up uh, this July again as well. Uh, you know, assuming everything with coronavirus is a little more relaxed by then. Although I think it's hard to assume that at this point. Yeah. Once again, man, we touched on this a little bit before that we jumped on this, but yeah, it, it is a little coronavirus. Hopefully that doesn't put too much of a monkey wrench in. in I mean, obviously right now we're only at the beginning of how it's going to affect travels and the economy and everything, yep. business and as we go through. So, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit before, but you know, I, I, the way I look at this whole thing, even though it sucks for everybody, right? I mean, there's, you know, there'll be something that good that happens out of it. And I really hope that this is kind of a reminder for people when it comes to family and everything else and basic needs. And, you know, what, really, if you have food and a roof over your head, then you're doing better than a lot of people. And so, you know, it's just perspective in this whole thing. So when this podcast comes out, I mean, hopefully it's not worse and much, I can't imagine being much better at this point. But anyways, man, we'll get through it. It's like anything else. It's like, you know, Absolutely. you just gotta, you gotta be strong through this whole situation. So tell us some, what are some, do you have like an interesting fact, like growing up, is there anything that like, you know, your family did this and did that? I mean, was there, I mean, I mean it was kind of cool. You guys have like a family reunion with around your grandpa's birthday. So that's awesome. Like anything else that's real interesting of like, Hey, I had a sister and I killed her. Not really. I know. <laughs> Nothing well, fun did- like that. You can't, you don't want to claim that here. Cause then we got to use the recording for court and stuff like that. But like, was there uh, anything fun growing up? In terms of um, of sort of fun or interesting things, you know, not much comes to mind about me or, or my life. But what I can tell you is that an interesting thing about Seattle is that did you know that we had the first gas station in the I did not the know United that. States? I just found this out, and I was like, "Huh, that's an interesting little fact." I mean, they're everywhere, but apparently, Seattle had the first one, and it was in 1907. So, you know, it's funny. So when I think Seattle, I mean, other than the football thing, which I think we'll just have to kind of get past as we talked about, but yeah, yeah. really comes down to like Seattle. I always think the music scene, right? Because obviously just a phenomenal music scene, coffee, obviously, you know, Starbucks being starting there as well. I have nothing but good memories of Seattle. Every time I've been up there, I want to get a little rainy, but I want to get for my little fair skinned, you know, Irish boy, <laughs> that, that's, that's not a bad thing. I go out in too much sun and I, I could die or turn into a red lobster or burn or something like that. So I got, <laughs> I got to be careful on my side, but that's awesome. So did you go to college in Seattle as well? or? Yeah, I sure did. Went to the University of Washington, which is right there and uh, right so next Huskies, to downtown. Right? Yes, the indeed. That's right. Okay. I'm a Husky. Yep. There we go. That's good to know. So did you go to the same college that your parents went to or no? As a matter of fact, yes, I did. Both of them also went to, uh, to UW. 
I know that my mom also, she went somewhere else out in Walla Walla, <laughs> but she was also a Husky. Yes. So both of them were. Wow. Um, so yeah, sort of followed the lead there uh, on my parents. Yep. You guys, Huskies have, what is it? A good basketball team or is it football or both? Well, lately it's been football. Basketball yeah. has not been, has not been good. Football has been pretty decent. A few years ago, we were in the, we were in the, uh, the playoff, the college football playoff went up against Alabama and got kind of stonewalled there, but you know what? That's okay. I think, I think most people do. Alabama. Yeah. Alabama is not safe territory, but that's awesome. Yep. You guys yep. are in there. I remember that. So I remember some good things about the Huskies. Once again, I had a, my son, one of his friends is up there, I think going to school up there. And so anyways, we've just kind of seen it through sports and stuff like that. They were playing rugby and stuff like that. I heard the rugby team's not too bad, I believe something like that. Anyways, I think it's some connection there, but okay. So you got through college. What, did, what was your degree in college? I did business administration with a focus in marketing. So the rare few who actually studied what I went on to do as a career, because yeah. I actually talked to a lot of people who tell me that they studied something completely, completely different. <laughs> well, yeah. what's, what's been your experience with that? Well, it's funny. So you like your degree is like, I mean, you can't see it, but my degree is literally on there over there on the wall. And it's exactly that I did business administration with a concentration in marketing. So it's funny, oh, good. But, but I will tell you that the funny part is, is when I graduated though, and I'm not going to tell you that date because you, you're like, Oh, that's when I was born or something like that. But <laughs> it was, it was a few moons ago. But the funny part is, is like, can we talk about like how things have changed? Like I can't tell you like my degree and the things that I'm doing in marketing, obviously they've changed dramatically, right? Because of software. And I mean, just, you know, platforms and the way that you do things. But I remember taking a marketing class and there weren't, they weren't really talking a ton about some online stuff, but not really. It was mainly kind of offline type stuff because online wasn't, I mean, God, I sound like I'm a thousand years old. I'm like, oh, I can't even hear you right now. But, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those deals. Like it seems like it was a, it was a long time ago. There wasn't tons in the, I mean, I graduated, I'll just put this way, I graduated in 2003 and it took me 10 years to graduate, not because I was unintelligent, Potentially, that's not the reason, but because I was traveling and was like kind of kicking and screaming and didn't really want to graduate and go what we to the real world, right? And graduate to the real world. So I was, you know, all over other countries and opened a business and opened a bar and did all kinds of other fun stuff kind of in the middle between graduating. So I don't, when did you graduate? How long ago was that? So I graduated in 08. So I'm not, I'm not that far behind you. Now I went right from high school into college though. So high school was 04 and then college was 08. So I didn't go world traveling and opening businesses and so on around the world like you did. But that's absolutely better experience in education than college. Going and doing and seeing and traveling the world and getting all that kind of you know, firsthand experience, that's phenomenal. It was fun, man. I, the journey that I took, it's funny, you always look at like your journey, right? And I always look at it like people go, oh, do you wish you would have done this and wish you would have done that? I'm like, not really. Like, I feel like my journey was my journey. The only thing that I, I have always kind of thought, man, I wonder if this would have been different is that because I graduated high school in 93, right? So I mean, it was a few moons ago, but if I would have gone to San Francisco right at that time, right? Cause I live in Sacramento. So I'm about an hour and a half away from San Francisco. So I've, mm -hmm. you know, in the tech bubble, but not really like we're kind of on the outskirts. I can go jump into the tech bubble and then jump out. So it's kind yeah, of like where yeah. I'd like to be, right? The safe zone. But man, I was like, God, if I would have gotten involved in San Francisco companies back then, I'd probably be like a billionaire or something or broken drugs. But either way, I would have been doing something different, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting times. I mean, just like I said, not to mention only what we got going on today, but even back then it was like, but I do, I mean, I did take a pretty, my journey was pretty, I guess say unorthodox in the sense that I just, I did, I mean, I graduated mid-semester from high school and then started college and I thought, man, I just don't want to like jump into the college thing yet. You know, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew it was going to be money related or business mm -hmm. or marketing, something like that. Mm -hmm. But I was like, man, I'm just, you know, I don't, I'm going to jump out in four years and I'll be 21, 22. And then when we do start a family, I'm like, I want to go kind of travel a little bit and have some fun. And travel that's what I did. With, and yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and also yeah. looking at different types of businesses and starting some stuff. And so anyways, it was, you know, once again, my journey was interesting and I enjoy it. And once again, it continues to shock me and awe me on the different opportunities I have and the journey that I continue to take. So I feel real fortunate in that sense, but well, I love it. That's a fantastic route to take and probably one that many people wish that they could take, you know, go to travel the world, see and do start businesses, you know, and all that. I tell my son the same thing. It's like, Hey man, he's like, you know, want him to get out of college, but I'm like, listen, if it takes longer than four years, you know, if you're That's having okay, fun right? and doing stuff, yeah, it's okay. Like, I'm not going to yeah. pay for it for 10 years. Right? Like, well, we should probably get that defined. Like, you know, you've got four years of payments. So, you know, but after that, that's going to be all you, but he's on a good course. And once again, I've never been a, you know, I'm like, Hey, like we all have different routes that we take, right? There's no right way or wrong way. And I try not to push that on people other than, you know, from what I've done, this is what I've seen. And this is, you can take that from my experience, but you know, you've got to do your thing. You got to do, you know, take your own journey, you know, as long as you're, you're having fun and figuring things out as you go. It's like, you know, it's life. Yeah, absolutely.
Yeah. So tell me how to college. So you obviously got your, the marketing degree with emphasis or the business administration with the emphasis in marketing. Like how did that jump into like content marketing and the things that you've got going on today? Like how did that transition happen? Yeah. So while I was a student, I took a job as a manager of the campus bike shop. So I've always been into, into riding bikes and, you know, uh, mountain biked a lot, you know, when I was younger and I would ride my bike all around campus. And, you know, I thought I ride my bike all around campus and I didn't even, I didn't even know there was a bike shop on campus. And Hey, I'm in the target market for this shop. And the first time I'm hearing of it is seeing a job posting for it in the student paper because I was looking for a job. So immediately it kind of clicked with me that here's an opportunity to take a job where clearly one of the main areas of struggle is a lack of awareness. And for me, that means marketing. And so I took that job and was able to, I think I was the manager there for one and a half years. And in that time was able to produce the first profitable year for the bike shop that it had ever had in its history. <laughs> nice. It was subsidized entirely by the university, but yeah. I actually was able to raise its awareness and sales enough that it was self-sustaining. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a money-making operation, but it sure, certainly helped the, the university that was able to support itself. So that was kind of my goal. That kind of experience launched me into a consulting gig that I did also while I was still a student where I uh, became a consultant for three different companies uh, with regard to their online marketing, uh, sort of using what I had learned as the manager of the bike shop. And then that launched me into my first job after college, which just so happened to be in 2008, right at the height of the Great Recession. Hmm. But I was able to find a job, uh, unlike many people uh, who were struggling at that time. And I got a job as a marketing coordinator at a company called 1105 Media. And my job there was largely related to email marketing, designing and developing strategies to, to drive leads for our clients and customers. And that included social media initiatives, SEO initiative, and email marketing. I was there for about two and a half years. And during that time, my interest in social media was really growing because at that time, you know, Twitter was brand new mm -hmm. and everybody was sort of saying, you know, getting on the hype train about it, how it could be used that as well as Facebook and LinkedIn for marketing purposes. So I was at my local street fair one weekend and I just happened to see a tent put up in the street where a dog food company was there selling their product that I recognized because it was the same dog food company that I had been feeding my dog for the last seven or eight years. And so I walked up to the tent and said, hey guys, you know, I've been a customer of yours for, for a long, long time. And is there any help that you need with any online marketing stuff? Because that's what I do. And I sort of had ambitions at that time to maybe start a side gig, make some side cash. Mm -hmm. And the guy at the tent was the owner of the company. And he gave me his business card and said, yeah, we would love to have some help. Why don't you give me a call? So I gave him a call, met with him at his office along with his team over the course of the next several months, developed a good relationship with him and his company, started to get to know the staff, develop a marketing plan for them, helped them execute it and helped show them results. That led to word of mouth referrals to one of his close colleagues who worked as an entrepreneur at another company who I um, did similar work for her. She referred me to several other companies who referred me to several more and several more. And before I knew it, well, let me, that's a little hyperbole. It's not before I knew it. It, it did take time. <laughs> but as time went on, my income from what had started as a side gig surpassed what my full-time salary was at my full-time job. And when that happened... I knew that the right decision at that point was going to be, okay, it's time to quit my full-time job and, and take my side gig full-time and make that a, a main gig. And so that kind of brought me to where I am today. Don't you love that transition where you're like, hey, my side gig's making more than my real gig. Yes, you oh know, man, it was a great feeling. It was yeah. still scary though, because you know when you quit your job, you're seeing at that point, I mean, if your side gig is making as much as your full-time salary and you quit your full-time salary, you're cutting your income in half yeah. on the hopes that your side gig will continue to do well and grow. Yeah. And so you have to take that leap of faith. Yeah, well, you got to pay your own insurance and all the other fun stuff, right? I mean, oh, there's then the fun some, stuff comes in and no yeah. one tells you. Well, you know what? I take that back. People tell you about all the, the self-employment taxes you got to pay and all those kinds of things, but you don't know. You don't. I'm with you. And I've seen this happen not only to myself, but it, but a lot of people I've talked to. And and until it hits you, that tax bill that you got to pay, you don't really know. You don't no, really know that's, what it costs to be self-employed. That's the reason why I didn't graduate for 10 years. Cause I was like, I heard rumors that it gets uh -huh. really real out there in the real world. And that's, oh, yeah. that is it, man. That's what I have to tell. Like it's, you know, employees and other people, they, I'm like, you don't understand. Like for every 
dollar that I receive, 40% of that is not even mine. Like, and they're like, what do you mean? Yep. I'm like, it's like, you know, cause they assume that, oh, you close this deal for 10 grand a month. That's awesome. Like, oh, you're crushing it. I'm like, no, actually I'm not. It's <laughs> like, like a I'm huge chunk sh- of that goes to the government. A huge yeah. chunk of that goes to all my costs and my employees and my everybody, everybody, everybody else. In. Yeah. Everybody else has got to get paid. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. That's, you know, I think being an entrepreneur and, and obviously you have that background and, you know, you've done a few different companies and we'll talk about that here in a second. But I just think a lot of people don't understand that. Like, you know, entrepreneurship, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Now, you know, I've said that constantly. Oh, yeah. It's like, it, it takes a lot, you know, and there's, there's things that, you know, I've had most of the time I've worked for myself, probably 95% of the time. One time I got a job for an agency that I, that was just a good fit and they were really needing some help. And it was a friend of mine's agency that I worked for. And it was, you know, not bad. And, you know, I'm like, wow, this is awesome. Like, cause everything was paid for and this and that. I'm mm-hmm. like, Hey, I want to go to this conference. It's like, no. And he's like, no, I'll pay for it. I'm like, Oh, that's three grand that usually I would have paid for. Right. Or I would have, yeah. now I speak at him. So I'm, I'm lucky in that sense. I tried to mitigate that cost. Right. But right. the thing is, is like, man, at the end of the day, like, you know, you see these companies are like, Oh, I fly first class. I'm like, dude, I would never like it. That's five grand out of my pocket. Like yeah. I gotta look at, you know, it's like, you know, but these other companies work for Google or whatever, like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. And I, I mean, I get it, but there's, you know, there's some upside to working for myself and, you know, having my own company because, you know, I can do what I want. But the other, the other side is, is, you know, I take five days off in the past. I'm way better now, but in the past, you take five days off, you come back, you got five days worth of work that you have to yep. do. You know? So yep. now we have processes and I, you know, a, a phenomenal team in place to be able to, to mitigate anything that I could leave for pretty much as long as I wanted and things would be fine other than little things here and there. But anyway, so it's, you kind of learn that process. Unfortunately, it's the school of hard knocks. Nobody really tells you that. I mean, maybe they do right. tell you, like I said, you don't listen and you're like, oh, I got it. It doesn't really sink in. No, it doesn't sink in until you're writing that check and you're like, God, that would be exactly. nice to avoid and then you learn all of that. Lesson. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it is. It sounds Fair like we have more experiences. There. Yeah, we definitely do. We definitely do. <laughs> I think so many people do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the school of hard knocks. So tell us a little bit the I and mean, you've had a few different businesses, and why don't you kind of touch on that a little bit? Because I know I want to talk about uh, obviously email analytics that you've got, right? That's a, a phenomenal mm-hmm. company. Good things about that. But let's talk about like kind of your the history. Like where did you obviously you were doing kind of your little side gig thing and then you've had yeah. a few businesses. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So that that side gig when I went full time, it evolved into a marketing agency which I called Audience Bloom. And so for about nine years, from April of 2010 until January of 2019, I ran that agency. And it initially started as really focused on social media consulting and you know helping clients with this new awesome way to market your business online called social media marketing, which at the mm-hmm. time in 2010 was still fairly new and exciting. It evolved to become more of an SEO agency as time went on, because what I found was that my customers said, social media is cool and all, but we're not sure if we really buy into it. But what we definitely buy into is having our website listed high up in Google and getting those clicks from Google without having to pay, right? Without having to, you know, to, to pay yeah, the, the Google ads. Exactly. Yeah. And so part of my expertise was in the SEO realm as well, because I had done that for the, uh, the bike shop website back at the, you know, at, at UW. And I had uh, essentially done a lot of SEO consulting uh, during my time as a, as a student consultant as well. So I started consulting with regard to SEO for my clients and that really took off. And that's really what led to the, to the word of mouth referrals because it was working. And I grew the business, took on board lots and lots of employees. And well, when I say lots and lots, I mean, it's all relative, right? But at one point I had, I think around... 10 employees and then maybe 20 contractors. And so maybe a team of around 30 or so. Eventually, I actually shrunk the team and kept increasing revenues and profits as I learned how to get more efficient. That's sort of a different Mm -hmm. story. But yeah, that was the agency. I ran that until I sold that in January of 2019. So just a little over a year ago. Nice, nice. So you sold that and said, all right, what's the next project, huh? Exactly. And the next project for me was email analytics. And that's what I'm doing now. And that was really born out of a necessity that I saw while at Audience Bloom. And what I realized, Audience Bloom was, okay, I've got this team of employees and everybody works from home. And what I saw was with my particular team, you can really evaluate or measure productivity by how much email activity they have. 
And it was an interesting correlation. If my team is not communicating with clients or leads or vendors or prospects or internally with each other, then they're probably not doing anything because (laughs) there wasn't a lot of, let me just put it this way. The work that we did was very largely communication based. You know, it was sort of wheeling and dealing and making deals and and negotiating and things like that. And so there was a, a heavy correlation of email activity with productivity. And what I found as any business owner has unfortunately had to go through, you have to fire employees sometimes. And what I found was that when I had to fire employees, it was because they were not being honest with me about their workloads. Mm -hmm. And they were essentially telling me that they were too busy to take on more work, more projects, initiatives that I wanted them to take on. But when I did a deep dive analysis into what they were actually doing, I learned they're actually not doing much. I know that they're, they're not anywhere near capacity. And so what I learned was that I needed a way to give myself the ability to sort of monitor workloads and balance workloads and not rely on my employees to tell me, and I don't want to be harsh about this because, you know, some people are are very honest and very good, but you can't trust everybody to be honest with you about their workload is, is what I unfortunately learned. And so giving yourself the tools to be able to do that and monitor and manage as a manager is what really gave me the insight I needed to become more efficient, like I mentioned earlier, as a team which helped me increase revenues, rebalance workloads, and increase productivity as a whole. So email analytics was born from a need that I learned while I was running the agency, and it helped me solve a problem. And I sort of saw it as a window of opportunity. I said, if I, as a business owner, need this tool, there's got to be many others who are like me who need this tool also, and who could benefit from this. And so that is what gave me the idea of this is going to be my next business. I'm going to take what I've learned in the marketing field and I'm going to apply it to my next business, which is going to be a SaaS app. And we're going to turn the page and start a new chapter. And that was sort of what I did. So how did that work? So, you know, I mean, because obviously there's, you know, there's, there's obviously can be some big money in software, right? The thing is, mm-hmm. but you got to get up and going, you got bugs, you got this, you got that. So how's been that transition from creating content and doing that kind of thing to now run a SaaS company? How's that transition been? It has been really, really rocky. So I've made a lot of mistakes. And my biggest mistake was that I tried to build this app pool using cheap overseas labor. And is it cheap? Yes. However, it's not worth it in the end. What I really needed to do was get a CTO. I needed somebody stateside who I could communicate with in my own time zone throughout the course of the day as needed, pick up the phone, respond to emails quickly, communicate effectively on this project who can handle it and handle all the technical aspects of it. Because like many founders, I'm not a technical guy. I'm a business guy. You know, you and I, Shane, we have, we, we know our stuff in marketing, but I don't know about you, but I can't write in code. No. Right, right. And so my mistake was I relied too heavily on, I put too much trust in outsourced teams to tell me what they could do and how expensive it would be. And I'll tell you what, whatever my quotes were, take that times 10 and that's how much it actually cost. And even then I had to, in some cases, throw out the entire product and start all over from scratch because it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted or needed or it was built in an unscalable way. And, so and you know it's funny so and not funny necessarily but it's that's what has always scared me about software is because I'm not mm-hmm. like I literally took I tried to take one coding class this was I don't know yeah. like 5 years ago mm-hmm. and I went in and I was like oh my god like they were like oh do this and do this you got to do this and you got this and the CSS and you go here and you change this and you got to be careful oh, yeah. you got to put a comma here you got to put one dot here and if you don't then you got to go through there's going to be an error and I'm like holy smack we're like I'm I've got like ADHD. So I'm like, I am not trying to focus on where that dot was at. Like, I just don't have the attention span for that. Like, I'm more of a like, you know, I got 50 things open and doing this, doing that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, you don't want to use a mouse. You want to use this. You want to, I was like, I took the class. Did I? It was just like a pass fail type deal because it was a like kind of continued education. And I remember just thinking, God, I just, I got to bow down to the people that do code. I mean, if you're just able to focus oh, on that, it is something else. I mean, and it is. be able to be good at it and be efficient at it. The, the issue is, is that I've always been nervous about software just because once again, because of that, you know, it's like it can be, once again, if you get it up and going and you're making the residual, I mean, obviously life is good, right? Like anything, right. but it's like getting to that point is, you know, everybody has that story. Getting to that point has been enormously difficult and I'm not even at that point yet. I mean, is email analytics making money? Yes. Is it profitable? Nope. We're still on that road. 
And it's a long road. And you know, the reason why people do it, I think, is because you know that at the end of that road is sort of a, a nice promised land. You know, you get to nice recurring income that isn't very volatile that you can depend on and you can sort of rely on. But getting there is difficult. And so like you, when I was in college, my major originally was computer science. I told myself I was going to be a coder and that did not turn out as planned. (laughs) I took one JavaScript 101 course at UW and I remember that my professor said, he told the whole class and there was probably 400 of us in that class. And he said, 99% of you are going to go on to not become coders at all. Only 1% of you in this class are actually going to go on to, to do this. The way that he said, some people's brands are wired for this and some aren't. And I'm just being honest with you. Man, that was the realest thing that you could have ever heard in your life. I wish you would have told me that before I took that class. I went in there thinking, you know what? I'm going to study. I'm going to do this. And mm-hmm. it just like, I remember looking at the, the, there was a guy that was teaching the class and I remember I, he probably was looking at me like this poor guy's never going to make it. Cause I was just like, I mean, I just look like a deer in headlights. I was oh, just yeah. like, holy smack. Like I'm doing this and doing that. I'm watching the videos and doing this. And I'm like, I just don't, my brain just never caught up with the concept. Like some people that don't even take mm-hmm. classes and they get coat, like they're just wired for that literally. And yeah. me, I was looking at this thing going, I can't study enough. You know, I just tell my son, hey, study more, do more. You know, don't worry, you can go ahead and get a little extra help. And I'm looking at this thing going, yeah. we've got a better chance of, of seeing God than Shane be a coder. I mean, I think that's probably <laughs> when I came up with it, at the end of this thing, I was like, and once again, the only reason I was doing it, not necessarily to code everything, but mm-hmm. it was to like have a better idea so that if I need to maybe get in there and jump or do something, or somebody's talking to me from a technical aspect, like I could talk some tech talk, right? I and mean, we could talk that, but like if I had to go in and double check somebody on something that they just did code wise, no. No. Yeah. That's not going to work too well. I feel you. I feel you. You know, just just this last summer, I took a a course on iPad. There's a a course that Apple has put out where you can learn Swift, which I think is, I think it's an Apple coding language. And it's actually a really fun little course and it teaches you how to code. And I got through almost all of it. But you know what? Even after getting through it, I couldn't tell you anything about code. Like I learned how how to write some specific instructions for my little character on how to make him do this or that. And I learned about arrays and so on, but I don't even know where to write that code. Like if you were to ask me, where do you write that? How do you, how do you turn that into a program? I don't know. I feel like I know now after taking that course, how much I don't know. Yeah. And it's intimidating. It's intimidating to me. And so that I sort of gave it a shot. And uh, I think that my coding career has now twice false started. And I don't know that it's going to be, there's going to be a third time, honestly. Well, I mean, that's, that's me, man. I, if I took it a second time, then that means the first time I was drunk and didn't know what I was doing. Cause I, I, there's, if I go back for a second time, that's like, that's like going and getting, you know, getting beaten, getting beat up by an MMA fighter or something. And I'm like, I'm gonna go back and talk <laughs> trash to him again and see what happens. Like I would rather fight an MMA player than do code. That's I, where I'm I at. Like you. I would, I'll go I tell you my favorite. That's actually my neighbor, not too far from here. I go tell him I'm gonna kick your ass right now and, and, and probably lose, but that's okay. I would much rather take a punch than try to learn code. I hope you turn that into an episode because you know that'd probably be a pretty fun episode. <laughs> you know that I would definitely record that for the inter- for the entertainment of everybody to see me oh, get yes. up by you right. Oh favorite, yes, for sure. I'll tell you why. Like, we we heard it here first. We heard That's it here. It. That's it. We're going to meet behind like Circle K or something like that. I'm going to kick his ass and let everybody know. Oh, probably, yeah. Probably lose. But anyways, we'll figure that out. But so tell us a little bit. So obviously, so email analytics, obviously you're talking about there's good things that are happening. You guys are up. You guys are moving. Not profitable yet, which is pretty common for softwares. I mean, until you get mm-hmm. things up and going. So what other things, because I know that I, what I used to see a lot, and I think this is because of your agency, is the writing, right? I mean, it's just see on Forbes mm-hmm. and Inc. You had a really good, a pretty crazy footprint when it came to guest blog posts. But do you still do some of that? Or are you mainly just, is just email analytics is your baby now? I've slowed way down on the posting. I do still do some of it. You'll, you'll still see me out at some of those places, but it has really slowed down. After I sold the agency in particular, over this last year, it's been a lot of just development, development, development of email analytics. And we, we do have a live product out there. We're very close. Maybe by the time this podcast is released, maybe 2.0 will be live even. But we're working on the next version of email analytics with a bunch of new features and upgrades and very, very excited about that. So it's been a lot of development. In terms of marketing, I've been focusing more on doing content on the site itself. So on the email analytics blog, you'll see that I've got over 100 really in-depth, great articles there that are based around you know, various topics that my target audience wants and needs. And so that's where most of my effort has been going these days. But you will st- still see me from time to time out there on various guest blogging channels. But yeah, it was absolutely extremely helpful for me as I was as I was running the agency because it helped me to develop a personal brand. 
mm-hmm. give advice to people who were looking for marketing advice. And then when they wanted more help, they could come to me uh, and my agency and get help and that helped drive revenue. So yeah, that was a definitely a big boon. So I got a question. When you sold the agency, and I'm because I'm always interested in acquisitions and you know exit strategies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And not that you need to give us an amount what you sold it for, but like what did what what did you sell? Was it just like all of the profiles that you had? Was it your the whole agency? Was the book of business? Like what did you? Or, and maybe you can't disclose that. I don't know. I'm not trying to get personal. I'm just trying to figure out like sure. what was your exit and, and what did you? You said okay, give me this amount, and then I'm going to give you guys all of this, and you started all fresh. It sounds like you started kind of fresh, huh? Yeah, I started fresh. I mean, essentially all of our clients and all of the incoming revenue and deals and everything that we had with all of our clients was, you know, all of our assets were sold. Mm. And so I'm trying to think of what that doesn't include. I mean, that's pretty much everything Mm -hmm. except for, you know, me and myself and my name, obviously, right? You know, like, you know, I'm still doing my own thing. But other than that, yeah, you know, all the employees transitioned over under the new ownership all of our vendors and contractors and everybody else was part of that asset sale. Isn't it funny like when that happens? Because I I have, I think I sold two businesses at this point, but it's kind of funny mm-hmm. when you're happy, like, yeah, I sold it. And you're like, damn, it's kind of lonely now. Like, you know, it's like, what happened? Yes. I used to have conversations. Like, it's hard to go from fifth gear and grinding, grinding, grinding. And then all of a sudden you're in first gear and you're like, I mean, it's great to start a new project, but you're like, God, I got to start from the ground up. Like this is a little, which is a good for a challenge. But it's another thing. It's like, I don't have 500 people emailing me or messaging me or yeah. calling me. Like what's, what's just happened? It's kind of quiet out there. You're right. And I did, I, I did experience that. And I, it's been a weird year, you know, going from being this agency owner for the last nine years where I was wheeling and dealing and dealing with employees and clients and vendors and prospects and everybody in between for nine years, all day, every day to a year where nobody needs me. You know, it's just me and it's my development team and that is it. And granted, I am talking with customers at email analytics. I wear a lot of hats, you know, it's yeah. a, obviously. And so you I, have I, you have to. So I provide all the customer service for all my own customers, which is great. I love talking with my customers and I love to hear about what they like and don't like and what they hope for and things like that. But there's not a lot of support that they need from me. Like it doesn't take me more than... 20 minutes a day or so to like talk with my customers and answer their questions and solve the problems. And so I've, I've had a lot of extra time and it's way quieter, like you said, and it is a shock. It's a transitional shock. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know that for, it's like, you know, this is super awesome. I cashed out. Yay. And you're like, yep. like what are people don't, I mean, it's no different. I think of like, and this is a terrible analogy, but like the famous singer that was, you know, had the hit album five years ago and now they're like doing local shows and nobody cares. You know, it's not that that's really us. Cause I don't think, you know, I, I'm not going to compare myself like guns and roses or something, but right, you know, right. it's like this kind of deal of like, you just, man, I, I'm just, I was wanted and I'm not quite as wanted. Is that good or bad? You know, you gotta kind of <laughs> yeah. figure that out, you know, like, I don't have so many people calling. I used to hate it when they tried to get a hold of me all the time. And now I kind of wouldn't mind an email from somebody to let them know that, I'm, <laughs> that they still need me. It's an interesting transition for sure. So, but you've got, so right now you've got the development team that you're working with that you guys have been doing and knocking this thing out. I think another upside, even though it obviously takes more time and work and resources is just you are customer service, right? So you can understand what the issues are, the good things, the bad things. I think, you know, a lot of times when over time, when companies grow, then the owner loses that, loses that, right? Because you can't be customer service, right? So I think in the beginning, kind of bootstrapping it and, and understanding what's going on there, I think is extremely valuable. I mean, I've had companies where, you know, I was the customer service guy as well, or in the middle of that. And then when I wasn't, and then I would go and I would check in, they, you know, they kind of give you the information, but you don't get all of it. You know what I'm saying? They're not gonna be like, oh, we're totally screwing up and things are terrible, right? They're like, oh, things are good for the most part. They're kind of candy coating it. So I think it's awesome that you're in there grinding it out yourself and really to better to improve the product. Oh yeah. I use suggestions from my customers and I put them into a list and I sort of figure out what do people want the most? What am I getting the most requests for? And I can start to figure out exactly the direction to give to my dev team. All right, here's what we need to prioritize in terms of features or functionality. This is what's going to, this is what's going to make people happiest. Yeah. It's really good insight. I do really enjoy doing that. And then what about the content? You said at this point, you've written what, a hundred plus blog posts for the website, obviously to start going yep. after your target demo. Yep. Is that obviously, is that, do you have a team that's helping you with the content writing? Do you write the content? I mean, what's your system there? Yeah, it's mostly me, but I do work with, I work with one writer who helps me out with sort of fleshing out content ideas and sort of helping me with like skeletoning or concepting various posts. And then sometimes he'll provide me with sort of an outline for it and I'll fill it in or vice versa. So it's kind of a two-person team that we've got there. Nice. And then the way you write the content is around, is it around keywords or is it like conceptual of like, you know, does it also have like product features that you guys talk about? Like what's your mix there? 
Yeah. So I start with keywords. So I figure out a keyword that I want to target. And I've got a, a notepad file on my desktop where anytime I, I think of a new keyword or find one that I want to target, I write it down so I don't forget. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then eventually I'll turn it into a blog post. But yeah, it starts with a keyword. And from there, I will typically do research on that keyword, see what competitors are doing, see what other posts are ranking in Google for that keyword. And then I will sort of craft a post that I think is going to be better than whatever else is already out there. And then that's sort of my goal is to take a keyword, be the best, rinse, repeat. Yeah, absolutely. So do you guys have a lot of competition in what you're doing? I mean, I haven't heard too many companies that are doing what you guys are doing. Do you guys have a, a big, like any big fish that you got to move out of the way? No. As a matter of fact, if you search for something like uh, just the keyword email analytics, which is itself a desirable keyword, we're already ranking as the number one tool, you know, sort of available. There are some other posts that are ranking for that keyword, but they aren't an actual tool that does it. They're sort of just like advice about email analytics. But when it comes to tools or apps that actually provide email analytics in the context that we do, we are the biggest sort of visible name out there right now. There are a few others, but their visibility is quite far below what ours is online. Hmm. Awesome. Well, that just because you got that agency background, right? And you've done that for other clients. Well, that's exactly it. Because I was a professional marketer for nine years and, and helped thousands of companies of all different shapes, sizes, niches, and everything, you know, with their rankings, I know exactly what to do. And I've got that competitive advantage, essentially, in the industry now. I can apply that knowledge to email analytics and it, it's working like a charm. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, it's funny. So I think the same thing. I have a lot of little sub companies and little other companies that I've started, but it's, I look mm-hmm. at, it, I go, man, the amount of knowledge that I have now. And if I would have known this 20 years ago, when I started this thing off, it's like, it's God, it would just be crazy. Like, I just can't wait to start doing some of these other side projects that I really want to take off. It's like, I, now I can get them to where they need to be within six months. Yes. Because you know what you're doing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a different deal. It's like, you know, before I was like grinding for just years and figuring this oh, yeah. out working with clients. And now it's like, to a point where I'm like, I'm almost a little too cocky at this point where I'm like, God, you know, where I'm like, just because of the time and the resource and what we've you know sure. put into this thing to be able to learn it. But it's, you almost feel like you have that unfair advantage. Of course, it's taken a lot of time to, to get there. But one of those things, it's like, man, I just, it's it's kind of cool to be able to see that take off because you're like, oh, this is going to oh, take Oh, yeah. It's certainly an advantage. Yeah. Any business that has an expert marketer driving a marketing campaign or initiative is going to be a distinct advantage over any competitors that don't have that or can't afford that or rely on amateur marketing advice, people who haven't really been through you know, things like you've been through and experience that you have, it really is a competitive advantage and marketing strong, strong advantage. Well, it's funny. And you touched on this a little earlier and I, I, you know, I do have people on my team that are international, but it's, it is funny when you talk about coding, I have heard this about coding Mm -hmm. because of what you're quoted. You're like, God, this is a huge savings. And then the really the, the hard part is, is it's a huge savings, but then trying to manage it and do this and do that and understanding what they're doing. It just it's another level of, right? Because you don't know code, right? And you don't know what, what needs to be done. You just have an idea. So yeah. it becomes very difficult. And I think when we talk about producing content, that is something that we can do in our sleep, right? It's something that oh, yeah. we understand that whole process. So it's not, there's not a huge learning curve there. But when you talk about taking on softwares or something like that, it just, that learning curve is just so huge. Yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. Daunting for sure. But it sure works. I mean, content marketing is just as strong as ever, in my view. It's changing, but it, the concept of concept of, of content marketing is still very, very strong. And that's what I focus all my efforts in. And, and it, for anybody else who's listening and thinking about doing a content strategy, absolutely. So I got a question for you. So let's say I'm, um, you know, somebody because we get a lot of entrepreneurs and startups and stuff that listen to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're somebody that wants to produce some content, you want to produce some awesome content, and you have a limited budget and time. Like, what is something that you would recommend? I mean, once again, I know that you, you know, you got to figure something out, right? You can't have no time and have no money because in the, at the end of the day, you're not going to do anything. But what would you like starting off? Like, what would you know, Jason today tell Jason twelve years ago when he first started doing this, or ten years ago, whatever that was? Like, what is that that information of like, hey, this is how you do things better? Yeah. So just. To- to clarify, are you kind of talking about from a content marketing perspective? Is that kind of the kind of advice? Yeah, like you're if you're going to produce some content, right? So, I mean, obviously, when you first mm-hmm. pr- produce content, it was probably like me. I just put some stuff up. I didn't know keyword research. I'm like, I'm just putting some stuff up because this is what I wanted to talk about. And then right. I later on said, okay, I have to have like some intent to why I'm putting this out there. Like, what is the goal of this content, right? Is it to index number one? Is it to what, what kind of people am I trying to get to because of you know these certain keywords that I'm going after? So, 
what would you like if I was going to start producing content? Like, is there like, what is the system that you use? I know you kind of talk about it keywords and you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, do you look at the content and you give it one month to see where it's going to index? And then do you revamp the content? Like, what is your, what's your strategy there? Yeah. So I don't really have a, a strict formula, but here's what I do. I start out with picking a keyword. I'll research that keyword using a various keyword research tool. Lately, I've been using Neil Patel's Uber Suggest which is he's got a free version of it that is more than sufficient to do keyword research with. So I really like that tool. There are other tools out there you can use like Ahrefs and, and Moz and so on. But I like Ubersuggest. And once I find a keyword that has good search traffic, then I look at what other content is out there ranking for that keyword right now. I'll maybe look at the top five search results in Google, see what's there. And that kind of gives you an idea of what Google thinks is the best uh, content for that keyword. From there, you can get an idea of how you can do that, but better than any of those top five. And for me, that might mean if the best piece Google is showing right now is a 1,000 word piece, how can I turn this into a 2,000 or a 3,000 word definitive guide on this topic? Can I put more custom you know, stats or images in it to make it to, to add even more value? Can I make a video on this and put it on YouTube and then you know, embed it within the article? How can I add media to make it really a rich experience for people? So those are the things that I think about. Another thing that is really useful is to look at what your competitors are doing and what, where their successes are coming from. And again, you can use uh, Neil's tool, Ubersuggest, for this. Just type in anyone's domain and you can see what pages on their site are getting the most traffic and what keywords they're ranking for. You can use that information to say, all right, where are my gaps? If my competitor is having a lot of success from this, from this blog post, but I don't have anything like that on my site, maybe I should go make one like that on my site, but it's going to be better than what my competitor did. So really, you can learn a lot from keyword research and competitor analysis and then sort of doing what's, finding what's working and doing it better. That's kind of my formula. And then do you do anything regards like taking a look at backlinks? So you're like, hey, this post was a thousand words. We're going to make ours 2000. We're going to add a video. And then it looks like they have what, 30 backlinks to their article. And do you take that in consideration of like, hey, we're going to need to get 30 at least or at least 15 strong ones? Or what's your, what's your strategy there? These days, it's been more focused on getting on really internal links because as we all know, getting inbound links from external sites is really difficult. What you can control more easily than that though is pointing internal links from your own, for instance, from your other blog articles that you've already got on your site to new ones that you post. So for instance, anytime I post a new blog article on email analytics, I go through all my old articles and I find at least three, usually more like five or six articles that would make a good place to reference or to add a link to my new blog post. And that really helps them rank faster and better. And so internal linking does really help. Do you need external links? In other words, links coming from other websites into yours? Yeah, you absolutely do. That's harder to do. And I've been choosing lately to focus more of my time and effort on just making great content Mm -hmm. and sort of really doing more of a sort of let links come in where they will and focusing more efforts on producing content rather than on trying to drive links. There has to be a balance, but that's how I've been sort of weighing my distribution of time. Gotcha. So when we have, so you're talking about when you put a new piece of content up, it backlinks, the interlinking goes to your old articles, or you're talking about when you put a new one up, you go back to your old articles and interlink that? Actually, both. Both of the things that you just said, I do. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. That's what I thought. Cause I was like, yeah, well, I mean, that, that makes sense that you would, that you yep. would do. I think internal linking, I think people don't understand the value, really what mm-hmm. that brings to the table and what that does. I mean, A, for your, your bounce rate, right? Of, you know, being able to go to other things in your website, but right. also you know, kind of keeping them in that web of, of content. I mean, once you get enough content, you can have a hundred different words that you can go and find it on another blog post and backlink it and interlink it and make sure that everything's all tied up there. Yep. Yep. It really works well. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Especially if you're driving some kind of traffic, because the whole point is to to get the people not to be able to leave your site, right? Like keep them in the in the web. And you know what I found interestingly is that my highest ranking blog articles and the ones that drive the most traffic aren't even ones that have many, if any, backlinks into them at all. It's just sort of like Google decided that this post is so good, we're just going to go ahead and rank it really high. And I'm like, I never even worked on building links to that post. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's it's really interesting to me. I'm not saying backlinks aren't important. Everybody knows that they are. But what I'm saying is that I feel like there is more opportunity in focusing on great content and internal links than more people realize or recognize. That's sort of what I'm sensing. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Anytime you get the Google blessing, right? You put out a good piece of content and it goes to the first page without any backlinks to it. You're like, life is good. Google oh, loves yeah. me. That's always oh, yeah. Google loves me. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a good they did. 
At least they did this time, right? You're like, I don't know what happened to the last nine articles I wrote that I thought were way more phenomenal than this one. I know, but isn't for it? For whatever it's, reason, yeah. It's, sometimes it's, it's just a puzzle. You're just like, why? I, I really worked hard on that one and Google doesn't love it, but uh, you know, know, it loves this other one. But you know, it's the, the Google mystery. It's one of those things. I, I remember I actually outranked Google for Google tools for their actual tool. Like I was number one really? for that. And, I, and I, <laughs> I did a video and I was kind of talking trash literally to anybody that would listen like to Google kind of, and I thought, God, uh-huh. I put this out there. Like, I'm really got to be careful. Like I'm, you know, and that's like going to the bank and saying, Hey, you guys put extra money in my account. Ha ha, got you. And then all of a sudden they freeze your account. Right. So I'm like, <laughs> I never came out in the video. Like I never did anything with it. Cause I was like, God, I really want to like talk trash, not to Google, but just to people like, what are you yeah, indexing yeah. for? Like I'm indexing number one for Google on Google for their tools. Like that was, I took a screenshot of it. I haven't necessarily like told the world about this it was a few months ago, but it was just kind of funny. I thought that was kind of like, that was for internally for our team. We we're like high-fiving each other going, yeah. That's pretty legit, Shane. I mean, I, I would give you mad props. I hereby give you mad props that's because true, that, you know, from, from one me. from one SEO to another, I think that's something that we know is is not only uh, comical, but it's uh, actually quite a quite a big uh, accomplishment. So it was nice. a glitch in the matrix. Trust me, because I was looking at the thing going. <laughs> I, that's why I screenshot it. I was like, we got to get a picture of this or do a video or something because this is just not. You know, once again, yeah. it's that delicate line of like, you know, I'll show it to some people that I know, but I can't tell Google because then they'll find out. Well, I'm just putting on a podcast. So we'll see if anybody listens from Google. Oh, now it's out there. I know it is what it is. Well, the funny part was, I was like, God, now how do I make some money from this thing? I was getting, you know, a good amount of searches and that kind of stuff. That was, that's a whole nother podcast probably, but yeah. Yep. Well, cool. So what other hobbies do you have, man? I mean, other than fighting with developers on a daily basis to, to get the, your email analytics up and going. Yeah, I play some guitar, not as much as I used to, and I've been meaning to do more, but you know, it still still qualifies. But I do play a lot of video games, and uh, works out because my wife is in the industry. She runs a podcast called What's Good Games, which is a video game news podcast, and so I get to go to all of the uh, events with her, like E3 and PAX and all that kind of stuff. And so we we do a lot of gaming together as co-op partners. Um, so we love, uh, we love our co-op games and for her it works out because she gets to, uh, talk about it on her show and she gets to, you know, sort of use that as content, but also as just for us to have a way to have fun together and connect and bond and so on. So, uh, who's better, man? Don't be shy. You're going to be recorded. Don't worry. <laughs> you, man, don't get nervous. Are you Come trying on. To, you know, I'm going to pull you, it out you know, of you. Go ahead. Tell me you're better, dude. Let me so I can send this to your wife. I don't even know your wife. I'm going to find out who she is and be like, just so you know, your hubby was on my podcast and he said that he could kick your ass. And she's going to go, Hmm. Shane, she's better at me. She's better than me at every game. Why are you winking? Why are you winking when you said that? Don't I know the podcast game. Don't you play that thing with me. I that's the safest answer, buddy. I, I appreciate that answer. I, I know deep down inside you're like, you know, I do want to say something, but I but I can't because she's close. I know you're also at home right now. So safety first. I get it. I, I say the same thing. It's important to be safe, buddy. You don't want to get cut off of those VIP tickets to E3 and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's exactly it. You know, you know, she get you know, she she who me up, man. I, you know, that's why she's better than me at everything. That's and, it. You're, you're a smart <laughs> man, boy. You just keep it coming, huh? I love that. Boy, you can tell you've been married long enough because you're like, listen, she, whatever she says, I do. No, that's good, man. I love it. you. Even look down a little bit when you said it. I love it. You kind of, hey, hey, like, maybe that's the most important lesson any, any listeners can learn on this show right now is if you're married, then she's always right. Real talk. That'll, you know, nope. they say happy, happy wife, happy life. I mean, that's it. I'm telling you right there. That's it right there, people. If you want to go ahead and tell your wife all the time that she's wrong, might as well jump on Tinder right now and call it a day. Get the attorney, give her half yep. and just call it a day. Call it yep. a day, folks. Agreed. Who cares about anything we said before this? That right there was the thing you need to write down. Just shake your head <laughs> and be like, you know what, baby? Absolutely. That sounds perfect. You're no, right. You're, you're right. 100% right. In fact, I'm <laughs> so wrong on this one. I can't even look you in the eyes right now. That's how badly I'm off. So, all right. So Shane, I, I wanted to also throw in there because uh, this is kind of exciting. So you've been running your podcast for uh, what, a couple of years or so? We're sneaking up on a year. Well, it's sneaking funny. Sneaking up we, on a year? Yeah. About a year and a half ago, we were like talking about it and doing uh-huh. this and doing that. And we had some transition stuff. But yeah, yeah, we've been doing it for just under a year now. Well, so my wife and I, we're about to start our, for me, it'll be my first uh, podcast, but we're going to start a podcast called The Co-op Show. And we're going to talk about the co-op games we play. So, you know, you asked me about my hobbies and this is kind of developing from a hobby into, hey, maybe this can be something a little more. And we're not trying to make money or anything, but we think it'll be fun, you know, having a show where we talk about it. You guys have some synergies there, right? Like, why not? Like, if you guys are playing video games together, I mean, why not jump on and, and, you know, as long as she's always right on everything you guys talk about, you'll be fine. (laughs) You know, you'll be solid, dude. And as long as all the money comes in, you uh, give to her. Podcast advice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm here to help you. Trust me. We it took us about seven months to actually launch because we were like doing this and doing that. I've got a good system. Wow. In fact, we've talked about 
doing, offering it as a service. But you give me a call anytime, man. We'll talk anytime. I'll let you know. Um, Sounds good. You know, what we can do to help you out with that. So we're at the end of this thing, man. This is the sad part. This is where things, you know, we get really high, get excited, talk about stuff. And then we just have mm. this major low at the end where we just, we have to break up. But so tell me, uh, this is what I do like to ask all of my guests is if you had three people that you could have dinner with dead or alive, who would that be? Who would be at your little table of sphere? Yeah. Number one, I'd have to say Jesus Christ. This is obviously, I mean, one of the most, uh, arguably the most popular person that ever existed Sure. with a following of, you know, billions throughout history who regard him as God. And so I think that having a conversation with Jesus would be the number one thing on my list. I'd have a heck of a lot of questions. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Number two, I'd have to say Abraham Lincoln. There we go. Regarded by many as the as the best president in the history of the United States. Just the things that he went through and led the country through, I think would make for fascinating conversation. Number three, I think would be Albert Einstein. I am very interested in physics, science. I'd love to talk with him about, you know, his theory of relativity, his role in developing, you know, nu- nuclear bombs and so on, as well as, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that he predicted black holes before anybody else thought about them. And now we can actually observe them indirectly, obviously. So to me, you know, space physics, fascinating to me. And hey, he was right decades before anybody else started thinking about this stuff and his stuff still being proved correct today. And I yeah. think that's pretty fascinating. So I'd love to talk with him as well. I mean, I, I just want to be a fly on your table at that. I mean, I, I honestly, if I was there, I wouldn't even say anything. I'm like, I don't know if Jesus should talk first or Albert. Or, I mean, I don't, I'm just <laughs> yeah. let you guys go ahead and talk. I'm going to take notes the whole time yep, um, and yep. take it from there. So that's, that's awesome, man. Well, hey, so if anybody needs to get in contact with you, Jason, like what's a good, you got, I don't know if you want to give out your email. Obviously, people can go to email analytics. Give us the whole shebang. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. So it's just Jason Demers is the Twitter and that's Jason with a Y. And then for email, just shoot me an email if you like. And that's uh, jdemers at emailanalytics.com. So just the letter J, Demers at emailanalytics.com. As one would hope, being the founder of an email focused productivity company, I am very good and quick about responding to emails. So if you shoot me an email, see how fast it takes, see how fast I respond to you. That's it. Yeah. You don't, you don't want your numbers to drop because you, you would hate to have low email email analytics and run the company. That's just, well, that's just, that's just it. I mean, we, we measure email response times and that's one of the most important uh, sort of metrics that our customers come to us for, you know, whether it's for sales or customer service or whatever. And, and uh, it's a, it's an important metric. And so uh, if you send me an email, I'm going to respond really quick because I don't want it to hurt my numbers. All right, you guys <laughs> test them. This is the big test. You got the email address. Let's see how quickly, hopefully not too many people. <laughs> Thank God I only have one person that listens to the podcast and it's my mom and she's not really amazing at email. So you should, you're probably going to be pretty solid, man. I saw him safe. All right. I'm, I'm ready. I'm prepared. Mom, email him right now. Teach him a lesson. Well, I'm not ready right, right at now. this moment. Uh, well, right, okay. Right, give there. him, give him an hour, give him one hour. And if yeah, he doesn't email you, send me, let me know. And I'll email him to make sure that he emails you back. We're going to we'll <laughs> interlink the emails just so that everybody's all connected. Sounds like a challenge. I'm ready for it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Jason. Once again, man, I, was, I knew this was going to be a good interview. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, and you guys, if you're listening to the podcast and like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to it. And once again, I bring this up at, uh, at the end of all my podcasts. Hey, I've got my new course. that's going to be coming out here at the howtobeaninfluencer.com. Go take a look at it. See if it makes sense for you. If you guys want to sign up for that, please do. Um, we're going to be launching here soon. And we'll be talking about once again, how to be an influencer less on like, once again, how to get a pink poodle and a you know private jet and all that other fun stuff and more on the side of like how to put your business together, how to pitch brands, how to talk to brands and how to be famous. Maybe potentially one day make all kinds of big bucks. Who knows? All right, you guys, thank you guys so much for listening again. You guys take care. Thank you.